Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie bring you the latest Superbike show and we're sitting here in Motorland, Aragon. We had yesterday's opening race of the week and it's a really interesting time for World Superbikes because the first time ever we've got back-to-back races at the same circuit. We stay in Aragon, Gordo, for two weeks and it's going to be interesting to see how it all evolves over the course of back-to-back weeks. Yeah, it's going to be the, the most interesting thing for me is to see if we're going to have six repeats of basically the same people. Uh, or whether somebody finds something in the middle of this weekend for the beginning of next weekend um, and moves themselves on that way. Um, if it's going to be repeats, then we, we have a fairly good picture of what it's going to be like by the end of this, which might not be good for uh, one colour of bike compared to another colour of bike. But it's certainly a new experience. I mean, I've been doing this full time 22 years. This is my 22nd year and I've never been to back-to-back races at the same racetrack. I've done many back-to-back races, not at the same racetrack. And it is the same racetrack. They haven't even decided to use the long loop we used to use when Superbikes used that and MotoGP used the shorter one, the, which the, to me was perfectly feasible to do just for a bit of interest and difference. And they didn't bother. So it's literally Groundhog Weekend. I myself would have loved to have seen them just get rid of turn 12 to 15, use that super long left-hander that the sports cars use. I think that would have been pretty cool to see, but uh, obviously would have been incredibly fast down in towards the last corner. Yeah, but you could also use the... the but what I meant was the, the loop at the end, the, the little hairpin at the end. We used to do that, and that left everybody uh, battering away because of the long straight, hard-breaking, but into a hairpin, which allows other people to make up for the deficit. Uh, but then you had a chicane approaching the last corner and so there was another chance to to pass people so there was literally two if not three passing opportunities in the last three corners which always made the races here pretty exciting um okay you have to have all the three riders four riders together to have the opportunity but it always made for better finishes i think the the long left is not quite as interesting to me it's not been too much of an issue to have three or four riders together on track this year no, it's been good. Um, and I think that's the, the most important thing about this year compared to other years. We've had years of Jonathan domination, then we had half a year of a Batista domination last year, and then Jonathan came back. This year, we're having genuinely unpredictable race results. Lots of people competing, lots of different bikes. And the action is, is much more interesting. You saw Jonathan and uh, Reading yesterday having a... A, you know, a bit of a cat and mouse game at the end that Jonathan just ended up getting, as he described it, suckered into getting too close to him and having to run wide. Um, otherwise, we were going to have an absolute grandstand finish yesterday. Right, well, let's get into it, Gordo. We've got quite a few topics to get through after only one race so far out of six, but uh, we're recording this Sunday morning. We've just had the warm-up for the Superbike session, but we're going to talk a little bit about Ducati. Obviously, Scott Redding's won race one. He's going to win another race at least over the course of the next couple of weeks but uh, for Ducati they've got big advantage here in some ways but overall all the bikes seem to be able to get the same sort of lap time so that's going to be an interesting area to talk about we'll talk a little bit about the rider market as well obviously news confirmed Tom Sykes is going to stay at BMW for next season we've still got some other news in and around the paddock as well and then a few bits of uh, loose ends to tie up as well Yamaha struggling a little bit here and uh, Honda as well so we'll just move into the Ducati territory first off because what we saw from Scott Redding in race one really impressive because he struggled in free practice on Friday was struggling right up until the super pole session but uh, something clicked and they were able to get the job done on Saturday Yes, uh, he made uh, he made changes in the, the overall gearing, 
which they went away from. So they, to, to give some background, they had a test here um, and got a lot of information from that. But when they came here, they changed the gearbox ratios or their gearing ratios, as you can't change gearboxes here anymore internally. Um, and he didn't like it and they went back again. But it, again, it was a bit of a... Uh, even during yesterday's race, he said he was working out which gears to use in which corners because obviously they'd made other adjustments to the bike since the test. So it wasn't exactly the same. So it was a kind of learning experience for Reading yesterday in some ways through the race. Um, and he, But he really wasn't confident at the beginning of the weekend, even in running up to the race. And he had to literally talk himself into that I can win this race on the grid. That's what he said to us yesterday. He had to go in his own little zone and say, no, no, I can do this. I, I need to prove I can do this. And we saw the performance he put in. Now, he may not, with another two laps, he may not have won that race yesterday because Chaz was coming through so fast. And Jonathan was right with him. When it looked like Reading might go, Jonathan was still able to hang on the back of him. And without that one little tiny, not even really a mistake, but enough to break the, the air, which was then enough with the small speed differential advantage that Ducati's got to let Reading go. So we could have an, any result today, even if you have a repeat of that race, because Davies would still have caught the two of them. So we could have had Davies, Ray, Reading, uh, Reading, Ray, Davies. You could have a, any any combination of those three guys. Yeah, and I think it was interesting to see just how different they had to set their times really we saw with Jonathan Ray he had to be really on the limit in the opening two thirds of the lap and just see if he could sort of hang with the Ducati down the straight no, it's not as big an advantage as what we saw last year from Ducati here obviously Scott Redding and Chaz Davis a lot heavier than Alvaro Bautista but we did still see there is that advantage Ducati have in the straight here they do um, and it was interesting because it looked during the race like Jonathan was also struggling a little coming out the back, the, the last uh, turn onto that back straight, which is again just as important as top speed when you're coming onto a straight of that length. Uh, but he said, no, it was okay, it was fine. The person who was actually maybe struggling more to make a really clean exit from that corner every time was Reading. So therefore, part of the advantage that he would have by getting through the gears quicker was slightly negated but it is obvious there was a, a, a differential when we looked at the 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 top lap times of the top three guys in Super Bowl um, there was 18 Ks I think difference between the fastest and Baz on a privateer Yamaha and then Jonathan was some in the middle maybe a little bit closer to Reading so there's a differential and single figure KPH between the Ducati and the, the next best bikes but it's not like last year, as you say, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It's it's partly rider weight, it's partly aerodynamics. Those big guys don't cut through the air as much as a little guy who's right underneath the, all the aerodynamics. So it's a factor here, and it might even be a deciding factor in every race. It may be the thing that just other people can't make up for, um, but it's certainly not as big as we thought it was going to be. But if you were going to approach the rest of this weekend, you would definitely want to be on a red bike because they... That's an awfully big straight. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a rider that's given up top speed for bikes that give the same lap time. And certainly the Ducati and the Kawasaki around here do give the same lap time. It's just a question of how they manage to do it. And we saw it a few times when we rode on board with Jonathan Ray. You could just see that Ducati just stretching a bike length here, a bike length there, particularly on the exit of the corner. Because the big strength of that Ducati is that linear power all the way through the revs. And that's where we saw it really illustrated. I tried to uh, draw Scott on the V4 versus in line four because a v4 should always produce power and deliver power 
in a more linear, more torquey fashion. It's just the way, that's why people build V4 bike race engines if they get the chance. Um, and he just, he wouldn't really be drawn on it. He, he said he didn't really know. But I think that's also part of it. It's how that engine makes power. Now, remember that that engine is, is very much geared towards high revs. It's got more revs than anything else. So you're taking away a part of the characteristic of a V4 by giving it such revs. You just have to make the tuning a little bit more radical. But it's still a way of, of helping you keep some degree of bottom end. Um, but when you chase more and more power and more and more revs, you almost can't help but take away from the bottom somewhere. So that makes the dynamic interesting. But yeah, we, uh, you know, it, we've got different engine configurations here, even though it's production racing. People in MotoGP can make a choice from a pure engineering point of view. But here, you run what you brung. So if you've got a V4, you're racing a V4. If you've got an inline four, you're racing an inline four. If you've got the Yamaha uh, cross-plane engine, kind of funky inline four, then you're racing that. You can't suddenly say, oh, well, we'll go back to your screamer or we'll build a V4. It's a production it's a it's a product that me and you can buy in the shop then they modify it to go racing so that's an interesting dynamic in this as part it always has been and i think to touch on what you were saying earlier about the uh the, the the relative top speed of the bikes and so on normally you want a better package you'd sacrifice a bit of top speed but you really don't want to do that here every year we've come here the riders that haven't got the fastest bikes have realized that this is one of the few places that if you really don't have a fast bike it doesn't matter how well you ride elsewhere, you're going to have to ride better than you did and better than the other guy, or you are going to get beaten. It's, it, you cannot uh, make up for too big a differential in horsepower and top-end speed at a track like this. And other tracks that, like Hareth, where they don't have a huge straight, it's all about speed out the corner and enough power to stay on the guy's tail. Here, you can get dropped here. It's hard. If you've got enough differential, you can drop the guy even if he's slipstreaming slipstream, uh, you. You know, it's almost like Hockenheim and Monza in the old days. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Gordo, it's been a long time since Superbikes had a lot of tracks on the calendar. We were talking about this just in the media centre, about how the fact that you used to have a lot of tracks that had that long straights, full gas all for, you know, a very prolonged period of time. And Aragon's really the only one left. And obviously we've got back-to-back -back rounds this year, so it's a little bit of a unique situation. But this is one of the few tracks where it really does become paramount. Yeah, and, and it's great that we've got that variety. It's it's a strange year uh, because we're going to go to repeat tracks. We're only going to eight tracks all in, but we've still got a lot of variety in those race tracks. We're also going to uh, new ones. You know, a lot of the guys have tested at Catalonia, but World Superbike, none of these guys have really been there. Maybe as riders in GP, but not as not in the package. A lot of them tested, um, but we're also going to Estoril at the end, and that's an absolute curveball. So. The, the, maybe the most exciting thing about this season is that we may end up still having a very lively uh, championship battle going to a racetrack that none of the guys has got really re any real experience of and certainly none of the teams un unless they do a test which I believe they're going to. Yeah, I think Estoril's going to be an interesting one because when you look at the grid quite a few riders have ridden there but they rode there on 125s, yeah. 250s. 15 you know, years ago. 10 years yeah, ago, 15 yeah. years yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 I, I, like I yeah. saw some some tweets about it. Danny Webb saying, oh, I can't wait to go back to Estoril. I had a great result there on 125s 15 years ago. You know, and you're looking at teams. They haven't been there. How are they going to set the bikes up? What's going to happen there? It's going to be, for the last round, 
potentially with a championship to be decided, it's really going to come down to which team can do the best job. And that's what I'm really interested to see if we get to that stage where it is a title decider because Kawasaki do such a good job of always getting their bike in the right operating window. The Ducati is such a... I said it a few times on the broadcast this weekend, such a fernickety bike that it needs to be in the absolute perfect window to get the best from it. So if it goes down to a last race decider, it's going to be a real challenge for Ducati. Like that bike's a great bike, but only when it's in that operating window. And for me, one of the interesting things from yesterday's race, and I'm sure it'll be the case as we move through the the next seven days as well, comparing last year to this year, we know how good that Ducati can be at different circuits. We know how good it could be at Phillip Island because Bautista was able to run away from the field last year. We know how good it could be at Hareth because Bautista could run away from the field last year. We know how good it could be at Aragon because Bautista was a second and a lap faster than anyone here last year. Scott Redding did a great job yesterday, but he was still 10 seconds slower for the race time than Alvaro Bautista in race one last year. Conditions are a little bit different. Obviously, we had a big wind yesterday. We had hotter temperatures. Temperatures probably pretty much the ideal for Pirelli, but very different conditions with the wind. But we didn't see the same blistering turn of speed from the Ducati that we saw last year. Yes, I mean, at the beginning of last year, um, with a new bike, certainly World Super Bike Spec, everybody was like, well, the bike is just so much better than everything else, etc. And Ducati kept throwing back to all the journalists and everybody else, yeah, but Alvaro is, is very small. And that helps him accelerate out the corners better and, you know, let the bike work better and easier on the tyres at Phillip Island and so on. And we were all very cynical about that. I think given the evidence of this year and given the evidence of his much heavier, taller teammate, Chas Davies, last year, yes, when you get the bike working, that's fine. And then Alvaro went and proved it as well in the second half of the season when, for some reason... Um, they made some degree of changes every every time they changed the bike he had from what he turned up on at Phillip Island when they found a good sweet spot for him personally they just went and dominated and as soon as they deviated from that the results started suffering and as you say the finicky nature of the bike came out um, it's obviously a very difficult bike to get right when you're operating at this level and when you're trying to take on five time world champion Jonathan Ray and Remember, everybody else has lifted their game. So your bad result now is a bad result. A good result uh, is winning. Every other result it can obviously be improved on. But if you have a not quite good setup, you might end up fourth or fifth this year. That's slightly unusual for the top two guys in red or green. If you had a not great day, it meant that the other guy beat you. Maybe two guys beat you. But if you have a, a not great day this year, you're going to end up fifth or sixth. Not everywhere, but it can happen. And it's a difficult bike, that Ducati, but if you've got the right people driving it and you've got your right setup, you see what can be done. Look at Hareth. You know, um, look at here. If they carry on making improvements in that bike all weekend, the question for me is now, how much more of Kawasaki got in the locker compared to the setup they had yesterday? Because if Ducati make improvements, maybe Kawasaki can only make tiny improvements over race distance to let them compete. Um, but if Ducati find even better set up based on yesterday's info, then maybe it's going to be, uh, you know, Scott's going to be even happier. Chaz will be even happier. Maybe Chaz will win the next five races. Now he's done his homework. Okay, he's starting again from ninth in the, the first race today, which made his job yesterday difficult. But realistically, if Chaz was on the front row yesterday, 
probably Chaz was going to win. Jonathan certainly thought Chaz was the guy that was going to be more difficult at the end than, than, than Reading, purely because he saw Chaz's pace and realised it's Chaz's magic track. He's won seven races here. I think the next nearest race for Chaz is four for any racetrack over his long career in this paddock. So, yeah, everybody's got to get their bike right. But I think, honestly, uh, Ducati, because they're still learning, because their bike's even more radical, they're the guys that have to get their bike more nailed on every weekend if they want to really compete. Yeah, you mentioned Chaz there as well. And we'll sort of segue a little bit from the Jonathan Ray, Scott Redding, Ducati, Kawasaki battle there at the front from what we expect for the rest of this weekend as well. But let's talk a little bit about Chaz because it kind of brings us into the rider market as well. Chaz doesn't have his future secured for next year. He's evaded any question about it. He's just sort of said, I'm not, not thinking about it. I'm just focusing on racing. But obviously, there's that big question mark about his future. He needs to win races here in Aragon to really give himself a chance of keeping hold of his seat because there is the expectation whenever you're a factory Ducati rider that you're going to win races, you're going to win championships. Chaz won a lot of races on the V-Twin, challenged for championships, but didn't get the didn't get the job quite finished off. Now he's on the V-4 and he's been outshone by his teammate for 18 months and suddenly he does need to have those good results to be able to put himself back into that frame for that seat because... Really, right now you're looking at Michael Rubin and Rinaldi on the way up. Obviously, Chaz has still outperformed them this year, but it is a case of for an Italian manufacturer, there's a young Italian rider. It's going to be a lot cheaper than Chaz as well, and potentially one that they see as being a man that can finish on the podium and make a step forward. It's uh, it's always an interesting thing when there's a, a relatively young Italian rider in the paddock because he's always linked and, and usually always ends up sooner or later on a factory Ducati whether it works out or not or is a different story. Um, so that is obviously, to me, the obvious threat in this paddock for Chaz to, uh, to, for his seat for next year. We all know what Chaz can do, but he, he, his problems, to me, completely stem from qualifying and not being able to put a fast lap in. I think Chaz is having to make up for things in races that he's not getting in qualifying. If he qualifies well and has good practice sessions, then he would be able to be competitive everywhere. But it's hard, especially because there's more fast riders and more fast bikes at the top end of the field now than there's been for a while. That job is getting more difficult. It was the last three or four years, pretty much. If there was no factory Aprilia here, it was basically Kawasaki and Ducati. So there's you've got a potential talent of four. Um, now there's more people, it's more difficult. He has to qualify better. If I was Ducati looking at Chaz, I'd say... If you want to ride next year, you need to learn how to qualify. And he, from what he said yesterday, he still just doesn't know why he can't qualify as well. He can come in and think, I did okay in Super Bowl there, and his time's not good. And other times he can come in, having done a, a Q-lap, and you know he's not that happy, but the time's better. He doesn't really get it, and I think that would be a slight concern for me. But his talent, his ability to think his way through races, use his head, is, is very high. Yeah, there's a reason Chaz has won 30 races. There's a reason for years he was the closest challenger to Jonathan Ray. Whenever he's able to get it to click, he's still fantastic. And the biggest issue, when you talk to riders about the Q tire, the biggest issue for most of them whenever they struggle to get a good lap out of it is they override. They push too hard. They don't get to actually get the benefit of the extra grip from that Q tire. And for Chaz, whenever Chaz is pushing, he's on that front end and he's really aggressive. He looks spectacular. But maybe with the Q-Tire, that's not what you need. And I think Aragon's an interesting circuit for it because he's really good here. And this is a track where you don't see Chaz 
on the limit of the bike. You don't see him looking really aggressive because he's trying to link turn one all the way to turn nine with one corner after the other. And it doesn't look like Chaz Davis. It looks perfect, though. And I think for Chaz, it's so difficult for him to move away from that style that he wants. And whether it's the Q-Tire or whether it's the V4, both of those don't really lend themselves to having that real late-breaking, heavy-breaking to get the most out of them. Yes, and they've changed the tyres. The tyres are bigger now. Chaz wants a particular style of tyre that Pirelli seem to have moved away from and because 90% of the other riders want something different. Um, he's He's got all the tools in the box and when he can put it together, he can really put it together. Uh, and we've seen it a million times. Even now, and look at yesterday, Chaz would have been... To me, Chaz would have been a race winner yesterday if he'd started on the front row, maybe even the second row. But fighting your way through all that in the first laps and everybody else is gone... It just makes it too difficult. So, his uh, his his use of a Q tire is not good. It's also a factor of uh, the test. He, he said that they moved the bike in a direction that was better for race distance and more consistent for him, and, and he felt better. But he knew even at that time he thought, yeah, but this is going to make qualifying less good. It's it's the way the geometry is of the bike. The, the Q tire demands a certain setup but it can't be done with a new setup that Chaz has found but was actually helping him be more consistent in races which is what really counts so he's in a difficult situation there where they need to make maybe some changes in the setup for just for qualifying when they put a queue in click 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 and go that way and then you've got to learn that as you're going out once you've got half a lap one lap basically half a lap to learn it and then go for it um, but he needs to find something because that's the only real hole in his armory at a track like this Everything else is there. We saw it yesterday, how good he was yesterday in the race and how clever he was. Chaz is really clever and maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's just one of those riders that overthinks things and wants to get things too right. Maybe Chaz needs to, uh, sometimes, when it's not working, just say, okay, I've just got to do what I can. And maybe maybe he outthinks himself sometimes um, and, and, get, and maybe asks the engineers to try too many different things. I don't know. You, you only know if you're in his pit box. But he certainly doesn't underthink things, Chaz. Going to put you on the spot here, Gordo. Oh, here we go. If you were Ducati, would you keep Chaz for next year? Uh, it's a more than viable option. Um, if they can give him a bike uh, and if they can work out what the problems are by the by the end by by signing time, however soon that is, then obviously you would keep him because of his experience and everything else. There's also the question of what happens to Reading next year. You know, as far as I'm aware, he's not on a three-year contract or anything like it. So there's the possibility of who his teammate's going to, who a Ducati teammate would be. Um, what's what's Scott's ambitions? So would I? I, I think giving Ronaldo the ride would be perfectly uh, understandable. Look at what he's doing, but they. <laughs> Are they going to get the best out of Ronaldo? Because that's a pressured environment. Ronaldo says that he's happy this year and going fast this year because he's in a family-style environment. He's got a good bike, not quite as good as the factory. He's on the same suspension as the factory this year, which is another crucial factor that that team wasn't last year. Um, there's lots of elements at play, but maybe that that's a very pressurised role for an Italian rider in Ducati. There is the expectation that he's going to be the next Valentino Rossi of superbikes and none of them have quite been able to do that it's it's a difficult difficult role for anybody to take on so and they must know that by now they must realise that maybe putting him in there is going to be too much pressure maybe he needs another year with good half factory support and it would be 2022 yeah from what I've been hearing in and around Ducati is that 
Reading has his two-year deal, and if he wins the championship both years, he's got a path back to MotoGP with that. But that's obviously a long way down the road. But uh, for Ducati, it makes an awful lot of sense, like you said, to keep Rinaldi where he is, because I don't see how he makes a massive step forward from where he is just by going to the Aruba team. I think he's got a good situation there. If Ducati can give Go 11 a little bit, bit more support, if you think last year with Barney, they had obviously engineers in that box full-time working for Barney in their red shirts. And now some of those guys, like Scott Redding's electronics engineer, he's moved from being with Rinaldi last year to now with Scott Redding and the factory team. Maybe that's something that could work well with Rinaldi, where you bring in some of those engineers, work with him on a full-time basis with Go11. They've got good support. Suddenly then Ducati has got four really good teams or four really good bikes on the grid, the two factory bikes, the Barney bike and the Go11 bike. And it's just given them that bit of strength and depth because we saw what could happen with a satellite Ducati in the past. Javi Fares was able to be a pretty consistent podium threat. And maybe for Rinaldi, that's what he's able to do. And then down the road, if Scott Redding leaves or whatever happens with Chaz Davis, then maybe he's got the experience of a couple of years of being at the front without that pressure of having to get the job done on a factory Ducati. But what I'd be interested in seeing... Honest to God, I'd love to see Chaz Davis on the Honda or I'd love to see Chaz Davis on another bike just to see what he can do on, on another bike again because obviously he's been able to win races on an Aprilia, BMW, Ducati, whether it's the V4, the V Twin, he's always been able to win races. So for Chaz, after so long with Ducati, I'd love to see him on a different bike, but you can certainly understand why he'd want to stay on the factory Ducati. Yes, um, I, I agree with you uh, that uh, it would be great to see Chaz. I mean, before that second BMW uh, ride was there, people were talking about Chaz with, on that because we saw what he could do on that. Um, I would be uh, Mixing up riders is the most interesting thing in this part championship or anything else. That's when you get uh, new stars coming through, old stars fading. Chaz could ride any bike well, given enough preparation time. Um, we've seen what he can do. Would it be good for him? I don't know, because ultimately when you get that Ducati right, it's probably the, the most, mo well, certainly the most modern, highest revving. Remember, we've got rev limits here. Other people can't just tune to catch up on you. There's an advantage in your pocket there, but it's also still a tricky bike. Not necessarily the Boxer Meccano that the, the previous V-Twin was, but they got that right. So maybe Chaz will just nail a setup that you can work around anywhere and then Charles will be back to winning a handful of races and competing for the second half of this, the, the season. It's impossible to guess that. But I would love to see Charles moving because he's been in Ducati for a long time. I think everybody in this championship would love to see Jonathan going somewhere else. He's not going to now. Except for on a red bike, maybe. But, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe. But again, a lot of the success that Jonathan's had, and he's the first one that says it, is due to the setup he's got. He's got his bike nailed on. He's got his crew chief that he trusts. Everything for him is okay. Chaz would be going into the unknown again at a time when things are really tough. Um, you know, other people have got fast bikes and winning bikes, but it, it would be a wee jump into the unknown. Um, maybe he's been in the, the red for that long, it might take him a year to get going with someone else. It's a risk, but it's not quite working for him now, is it? If you were Chaz, it's not quite working for you, is it? You, you're not quite getting there. Last year it was Alvaro, this year it's Scott who are doing a better job. On the track, in the races. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that for Chaz, like he's obviously, all these riders are incredibly competitive. They've all got that self-belief in themselves. But for Chaz, he's used to having been that figurehead for a team. He's used to having people 
come to him, say like, what do we need to do to keep winning? He's used to going up against Marco Melandri, a great rider, and beating them. He's used to Davide Giuliano, incredibly fast at times was Giuliano, and beating him. He's used to always being that top dog. And then suddenly for 18 months, he's had to look at the other side of the garage, look at their data and see things that they could do that he couldn't do. And that's the biggest challenge for him. And and maybe now at this point, he's got his head around the Ducati. He understands what he has to do, how to ride that bike. These two rounds in Aragon are going to be really important for him. Obviously, we've talked about already how good he is at this circuit. And now he really needs to kick on and try and bring that forward for the rest of the season. Because obviously, Montmelo, Magni Cors and Estoril, again, three very different types of circuits for World SBK. So for... Chaz, if he's able to come away from this weekend picking up a race win, and if I was putting my money down on the table, I'm having Chaz for race two as it stands right now because what he did yesterday was really impressive. He's going to qualify further up for race two than he did for race one, and he's going to be in a position to do that. But he needs to, like you said, Gordo, improve qualifying, and then suddenly he's right there because always in races this season, he's been fast. He's just had to come from third, fourth row with the grid. So for Chaz, a good qualifying session for Chaz has always been second row. If he's able to get back to that, he gives himself half a chance going forward for the rest of the season. And he gives himself a real chance of being able to keep hold of that ride for next year. Takes Chaz time to learn bikes. He's always said that. Obviously, earlier in his career, he never had that chance. He was always chopping from one team to the next. But it's always taken him a long time to really understand the bike and get the most from it. So maybe these back-to-back rounds can be that turning point of his V4 career with that uh, Ducati. And it'd be interesting to see what happens to him first. If you had to, I mean, if I was there making a choice between, as we touched on earlier, Rinaldi and Chaz, I would still go for Chaz just because maybe Rinaldi needs another year. Maybe Rinaldi needs to get three or four podiums before you decide to give him a factory bike. You know, he's been there or thereabouts, but he's still, other people are, are, are pipping him to it. Um, Chaz's experience is invaluable but it needs to be turned into a positive way now it seems to be almost working in a negative fashion for Chaz why can't it do this why won't it because he knows what it, what things can do um, but with with Reading on board with those two riders you can't look at that as a, in any way a weak lineup. not at all and, and the, again Chaz would be a genuine threat to beat Scott when he gets everything sorted out it's not like Scott Redding's a better rider or a, or a more accomplished rider than Chaz in a superbike scenario. Um, but he's another type. He's, he's come from OGP, he's gone to BSB, he's come here, he's on a roll. Yeah, let's talk about a rider that isn't on a roll. We were talking earlier about the fact that one of the big news stories from this weekend was Tom Sykes confirming that he's going to stay with BMW. The big impact from that is obviously Eugene Laverty, a rider that's had bad luck and bad form for what seems like too long now at this stage for Eugene. He's now out of BMW trying to find himself a ride for next year. And there wasn't really any choice for the team. Tom Sykes is always going to be able to get super poles. He's always going to be able to have solid point scoring finishes, decent results. They've got Michael Vandermark signed up for next year. Vandermark's won races, a lot of podiums in the last few years, been a contender for third in the world championship for the last three years. It gives them a really strong rider lineup. But Gordo, do you think that BMW have any choice in what they were going to do for next year? Uh, if you look at it in purely statistical terms, no. If you looked at it in terms of rider form and what they've shown on the bike, again, you would have chosen Tom. Um, it's just unfortunate for, for Eugene because we've seen what he can do. He's won 13, is it 13 races here uh, in the past, but this is what we are talking about, the past. Um, 
you know, we're touching Chaz earlier. Chaz won a race last year at Laguna, didn't he? You know, even though he was struggling. Um, Eugene's always seems to get unlucky. He had so many problems with the Ducati he had last year. He had so many problems with, with bikes since he moved to MotoGP, basically. He's come back and in theory he's got great bikes and great rides and great opportunities and it just hasn't worked out, even the Aprilia time he had. Which is, and that bike, we know what it can do. But he's he's been, to me, he's just been desperately unlucky with a few things and then he gets hurt at a certain time or something goes wrong with the bike. and uh, It's been very, very tough for him. I do feel for him because we all know he's a class and quality rider. Um, but yeah, you know, if you had to be pushed, then you would do that because Tom can look and go. Look, I've got four podiums last year. You know, I've got I've I've done two super poles already, including one this year. This year, um, and he's a world champion. So when you're introducing them on the stage, I know it sounds daft, but when you're introducing the guy on the stage, the world champion, world superbike, we've got him on our books. You know, Troy Corsa won the world championship nine years, ten years after he he won his first one, he won another one. So there's always that window that people are thinking, you know, if, if the bike comes back to Tom and he's got a very peculiar particular style um, and he knows what he wants, the regulations took that bike off him a few years ago when he was riding for Kawasaki um, and he's not been the same, quite the same rider since. But over a single lap, there's no one faster than this paddock. And if you can then give him a setup for the bike, a, 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 an engine tune, electronics, all the things that the guy needs he'll give you 20, 20 laps of, of winning, you know. He's he's still as talented as fast as he ever was. It's he, he, quite amazing. But he has his own, you know, peculiarities that make it difficult for some people and you must be frustrating sometimes to have Tom in your team. Um, he does seem to get passed too easily. From When he gets passed by one guy, he then gets passed by three others and then he sits there for the rest of the race. That's what it looks like from outside. Um, but on the forum, you have to go with Tom. What do you see for Laverty down the line? And do you see him getting a seat for next year in World SBK? I think if I had, a, if I was an ambitious team and I wanted to show what I could do, and you were prepared to help with the obvious rebuild um, that needs to go on, and the confidence and everything else that um, that Eugene's got, I'm sure his self belief is undiminished, um, and I'm sure his talent is still the same as it was. It's, uh, but if you're, if you're, if you think you've got a package to let that guy develop again, it'd be a great signing for any team in this paddock. That, that, as a, but as a second rider, as a, a, a rider that you, you has got a pedigree and you know he's got talent, if you can think you're the guy that's going to winkle that out of him again and give him a platform, a, 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 a secure uh, and fast enough platform, consistent race to race, resourced well enough, that to me is more of an issue. Getting a ride in this paddock for him next year, yeah, I mean, the seats are filling up. But he's he's obviously a talent, uh, but it's not a straight signing next year for Eugene. And it's, and it's a watershed moment for Eugene as well. He needs to think maybe about his future. What am I going to be doing in three years, two years? He's, he's not a teenager anymore. It's not really been something that he's ever seemed to have entertained. But Scott Redding illustrates that you can go back to BSB, win a championship and get yourself onto Factory Ducati, a good bike, give yourself a chance of getting back to the front. For Eugene, you'd have to say the most important thing for him is to be able to find something that he can win with again because it's six years since he won a race. It's been a long time for him. A rider with that sort of talent, that sort of pedigree, you don't expect it to go that length of time. Now, if he was able to... Like, at the end of the day, if he turned up and said to Paul Bird in BSB, 
I want to be on your bike next year. Someone like Birdie would be a fool to say, nah, do you know what? Christian Eden won his first race in 10 years. Let's keep him. Josh Brooks has obviously been a, a regular title contender in BSB. He's the benchmark in BSB. So it makes sense to keep Brooks. But if Eugene turned up looking for one of those top rides in BSB, it'd be very hard to turn him down. Uh, yeah, oh, I like your hypothetical there. I, I mean, I do like your, uh, I do, I like your thought process, but there's an awful lot of ifs and uh, ifs and maybes there. It might be his only option to do, but we've seen that that doesn't always work from riders coming from this paddock. And ultimately, you know, we can show a couple of examples of riders who came from here and didn't do that well in BSB. A lot of times, that was basically because they kind of looked at it and went, mm, "Don't fancy this much," and wanted to come back again. So there was that kind of element. Um, you know, at work. Um, I think, unfortunately, the if you're Eugene, that wouldn't be a good step because you'd have to win it. And if you didn't, why why did Scott get to come here because he won it, and he was quite convincing. And even he, but he didn't like the thing too much. You know, he wasn't that keen on the 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 whole um, some of the aspects of the scene. But he did well enough to win it. When he couldn't and he didn't like the track, he just slowed down a bit and thought, "Okay, oh, calm, calm. Let's let's not do, let's not go, let's not risk too much here." Um, but when he could, he won and he did enough to win the championship and, and get back over here. It's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult place to go. BSB. There's a lot of guys been in a long time, know what they're doing, know the tracks inside out. Yeah, and we talked about it last time we were doing the Superbike Show about the challenges of BSB versus World SBK. Obviously, very different circuits. And the big thing is that we see a lot of riders in BSB. Like, I'm, I'm convinced there's a couple of riders in BSB that are average BSB riders, but would do better on the Grand Prix-style circuits that they've been maybe trained towards during the course of their careers. Eugene, obviously, would be the exact opposite, coming back to uh, British-style circuits. It'd be a big challenge for him. And he, he'd have the lessons that he would have seen from... Michael's career as well in BSB. Michael Laverty, whenever he was in MotoGP, was actually quite a consistent Grand Prix rider. His lap times were always very consistent. Went back to BSB. And those styles of circuits, even though he was a British champion, never really seemed to gel with him as much as the bigger Assens or Donington or wherever else you, you, you could go in BSB to have really good results. Yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of... Uh the best thing about the British Championship is it's got lots of unique circuits with unique challenges um, and it takes an entire way of riding. You also can get results in BSB by riding hard and taking more risk. It's as simple as that. There are there are tracks that are, you know, you, you won't find a perfect setup on. You just can't do it. So the, the, the reason that World Championship tracks are built the way they are is for lots of reasons, primary safety, etc. Uh, because they're built from a, a, a sheet of paper British tracks are usually where the old airfield was or uh, where Mother Nature dictated there was going to be a big hill. So you can't do anything about that. Then there's the track surfaces, the weather, it's cooler, the tyres don't always work, uh, you know, an optimum, supposedly optimum temperature. There's a lot more factors in, in Britain that the guys have been spent their whole life there are used to. So it's a challenge. And I wouldn't... Uh, and Eugene, given his style and the fact that he spent most of his life on Grand Prix style tracks, World Superbike style tracks, maybe it wouldn't be good for him. It wouldn't necessarily suit his uh, smooth, measured approach. And uh, just when we look at some of the other riders, Gordo, still waiting for their future to be decided. Obviously, Leon Haslam in at Honda, he's 
been linked with staying with the team for next year. There's been a lot of talk that uh, it's almost a done deal. But until it's actually done, it's not done. Yes. Um, he didn't look happy yesterday. He really, every time he saw him on TV, he was very unhappy. But that is still a prime ride and they will uh, resource it enough, have enough time on the bike to get things right. They might even need to do a bit of redesign. But an HRC factory seat is, is, is a commodity. And you can see when that bike's working, it's really not that far off already. But at this level, it's just not, it doesn't look quite like the real deal. But it's hard to see, and they're the least communicative people in the world about the problems. So it's fine, difficult to find out what the kind of general characteristic problems are. The riders are very cagey about trying to say what's going on. But that bike is a rocket. You know, uh, Ronaldo was saying that the Honda's faster than his bike down the straight. Um, you know, there's, the potential of that bike is pretty big. Obviously, one of the names that we have heard linked with Honda and a couple of other seats in World SBK was Cal Crutchlow. Crutch has always sort of said that he didn't want to come back to World SBK. He wants to be in Grand Prix. But obviously, the Grand Prix seats are filling up and there's not too many left. He said he wants to keep racing. Superbikes is an option to keep racing. He's still going to be able to earn decent coin coming here. Less races, it's 13 rounds, 12 rounds, 13, 14 rounds a season as opposed to 19, 20, 21 potentially with Grand Prix. So is someone like Crutchlow an option to come here? Uh, if you were Honda, you'd want to think so. Crutchlow might not want to come back here, but if he wants to keep racing and not be finishing reliably 12th, then maybe he's got no option. Um, things have obviously scattergunned a bit in MotoGP, so maybe the, a, a ride that he wouldn't have considered as competitive before, when you've seen the recent results in MotoGP, it seems that more or less every bike is capable of, of winning now, which is great, and certainly exciting. If he can get a good one of those rides, then he would definitely want to stay where he is, but he has got, whether or not he's thinking that way now or not, he's got unfinished business here, because he was Super Sport World Champion, he became a factory and winning uh, world Superbike rider then he got the first chance he got he went to MotoGP and ended up being the first British rider to win a, a Grand Prix since Barry Sheen etc etc he's, he's created lots of milestones in MotoGP is he going to be MotoGP world champion one day if he thinks that yes and other people think yes then fine he should stay where he is but he could come back here and you know bracket his career with two world championships one in Super Sport 600 on the way up and World Superbike, is Cal Crutchlow good enough to win World Superbike Championship on the right bike? Well, obviously. Obviously. Um, if he wants to, but he wants to have to want to do it, he has to have the desire to do it, and he has to come back realising that this is not easy. But Crutchlow's experience, his proven talent to win Moto Grand Prix races, not easily done by anyone. And he's done it more than once. He, he, it would be great to, for him to come back here. And whether he knows it or not, he's a superbike rider. His attitude, his mentality, his approach to things, his, his ability to be himself and his own character and not compromise is what world superbike racers always were for most of the career before things got a bit too polished. So he'd come back as the perfect foil to somebody like Reading. And obviously there's a long-standing uh, uh, rivalry between him and all the British guys because they all grew up together and raced each other on the British tracks. So if he came back here and beat all them, He'd retire walking on a cloud, having had a world championship in super sport, having won MotoGP races and coming back here. Imagine winning the world championship here. He really could just dust his hands off and say, Poh, done as well as you, he did as well as every opportunity that was given to him. So, yeah, if I was him, I would come back. 
it would certainly be good for the championship if he came back. Obviously, a big name like Crutchlow, but uh, be good to see again just another top rider comes to the championship because the grid right now it's stacked. You look at the top fifteen riders; they're all great riders. Yeah, and your strength and depth's really good now. You know, it's good, and even the the, the people from outside, uh, you know, they're they're showing a bit of uh, shy. Looks like a decent rider for the future. Rinaldi's obviously come on again. There's a there's a few riders look on the edge there that, that you're looking at. I'm thinking with the right management, with the right rides, with the right opportunities, and without any mistakes or bad years, there's that the, they could end up being proper goers. So it's a great it's a great setup now. Well, let's talk about just how competitive it is as well, then, Gordo, because we saw this weekend Yamaha has been a little bit off and they're right down the timesheets. It's not like it was, like you said earlier on, a few years ago, where if you're having a slightly bad weekend, you might be just one or two places back from where you expect to be. Like Toprak, we haven't seen anything from him this weekend so far. Michael Vandermark bet him by 10 seconds yesterday and Mikey was still caught in a little bit of no man's land in the race. Yes, um, he's, he understands his issue is that they just don't quite have enough top end to compete with the, the other bikes. They're nearly there, but they're not completely there. Um, they need to get that sort of side, side of things uh, fixed out um, but that can't happen anytime soon and it won't happen in the next three races I don't think so the next thing for top rack is that he just doesn't like this place he's never really particularly shown here he doesn't. He can't find a setup he's happy with here but top rack wants to bike a certain way and then he'll be competitive anywhere but he's fighting two things now one his setup and two the fact that he just doesn't have that top end of the Ducati or the, the, the Kawasaki or a couple other bikes. So that's why they are there. However, Loris Baz made up for all that stuff and qualified on the front row. And Super Bowl, the privateers again found a way to, to move on. I want to ask you a question about Loris Baz as well, then, Gordo, because obviously we recorded on the Saturday in Portimao, or sorry, the Sunday morning in Portimao before the Super Bowl race. Baz managed to get a podium that day and it was everything that's good about World Superbikes to see a good team, a good rider, a good bike all come together and get a good result. And that's really what you want to see with those privateer teams, the non-factory team like Tenkate to be able to come in and get results like that. Go 11 with Rinaldi to get a podium would be a great result from these two rounds in Aragon. But it does look like we're moving ourselves back towards that like ethos of what World SBK was, where as long as you had the right rider, as long as you had the right people around them, you could get good results. Yes, the the rules are good in this championship. The setup's good. There's enough manufacturers with enough good bikes and secondary bikes to be able to move on. Uh, Tinkata, uh, for two years ago, had were basically out, and now they've managed to get themselves back into podium contention. Uh, front row contention go 11 of showing what they can do when they get things slightly changed technically wise it is more open here than it's been for years and you can have the same stuff as the factory guys have got basically 90% of it 95% Gordo I'm going to put you on the spot for the second time here we today. go what have I done right we've had a season so far three, with lots of different winners we've four different winners seven different riders on the podium this weekend's obviously a very different type of circuit to anything else we've seen we've talked about already how unique Aragon is are we going to come away from Aragon 1 with three different riders winning races uh, well I don't know but I'd love to think yes that would make it exciting for me that's what I want to see every time I want to see 21 different riders you know I, I want to see everybody having a go at it um, are they if Chaz uh, tomorrow I think Chaz has got more chance in the big race because obviously he's starting far back and he's got less laps to do it in the morning um, but there's no reason why Chaz couldn't win the, the second race so there could be 
two two race winners. And Jonathan, if he hangs on, there's no reason why he can't use his racecraft uh, and he's got enough speed in his bike and the setup of the bike for, for the 10 lapper. And if he can use the, the, the tyre more cleverly, the, if he goes with an SCX, then there's no reason he can't win that short one. He's already won the short races where people weren't expecting him to. Uh, even when the 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 caties are dominant in the he won the short race. So yeah, that I mean uh, on paper that's a scenario. Jonathan wins the short race, and Chaz wins the the final big race. We'll see whether you put me on the spot has put me in a bad spot or not, Steve. When we see the results later today. Yeah, I tell you what, my gambling hasn't been working out too well lately. Oh, I never gamble. But, uh, I um, never gamble. I'm too safe. You're too fucking cheap, Gordon. You're a I'm Scotsman. Very, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not too cheap. I'm just cheap enough. Tell you, tell you what, Gordo, one question for you, actually. One last question. What's been the highlight for you from... You've ridden down from Scotland. How's that been? Oh, uh, uh, interesting. Uh, I had to... I braved the storms that, that cut through the whole UK on the way down. So 450 miles of, of crazy storms all the way down was pretty special. Um, the boat was three hours late arriving in Spain. Uh, I arrived at my hotel one o'clock in the morning. Uh, in the hills in the middle of nowhere thankfully getting my uh, Spanish phone service to work enough to let me navigate my way there at one o'clock in the morning walking around a mountain village clicking my, my metal boot heels on the ground looking for my hotel with a key outside the plant pot etc it's just been wonderful chaos the whole way down getting here was 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 an adventure and riding through Spain uh, again it was just wonderful. Unfortunately, I went through the Basque country, which is obviously very beautiful, but in the pitch dark. So I need to go back up on the way home and go and see it properly. It's been great. It's more complicated. I try and take a bike. I, I always have the ambition to do a full season on a motorcycle, borrow a bike for every round, fly in, borrow a bike everywhere, maybe go France or something uh, on my own bike. This year, because of expediency and, be and because it's now the opportunity, I'm going to be in Europe for two months on a bike. And I'm loving it. It's great. Yeah, when it rains and you're getting nearly blown over by the, the gale force winds, it wasn't too wonderful. But, you know, motorcycling's visceral. It's a visceral thing. When it's cold, you get cold. When it's wet, you get wet. When it's hot, you're too hot. I've had all those things in three days. And it's great. I love it. It's it's why we're all motorcyclists. I love it. And I love the 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 freedom of it. The 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 There's nothing like it. Everybody that's that's listening to this probably has the same feeling, uh, and quite rightly, there's nothing like it. It's not the easy route, and that's part of the attraction. Yeah, I have to say, there's nothing like walking into the toilet and seeing Gordo getting himself changed out of his riding gear into no, his no, into his civvies. Should be seen that way either. Oh, it's, uh, I'll tell you what. And I need better. I haven't been able to sleep for three and days, Gordon. <laughs> well, I'm not sleeping well, and I'm shattered. You also get more tired when you're on the bike. I'm shattered, and I keep waking up in the middle of the night. Whatever. I don't know. It's weird. It's. it's I'm not as young as I was either. I tell you what, Gordon. Hopefully, we haven't put all the listeners to sleep over the course of the last forty-five I hope minutes. Not. I hope but not. Uh, the good thing is that uh, obviously we've got races this afternoon by the time everyone listens to this you will have been able to watch back Sunday's races as well myself and Gordo will be obviously on the ground next week as well for Aragon 2 we're excited to see how that's going to work out back to back rounds has worked out quite well in MotoGP Gordo we were talking to Chaz Davis about it because coming into the season or got the restarted season Chaz was one of the riders that said you know it'd be quite cool to have back to back rounds at different at different layouts at the same circuit kind of use like what you were saying Gordo the long layout here in Aragon or you know something else at some of the other circuits and then after what he saw from MotoGP Chaz actually said you know what actually 
the second race has been better than the first. So he's interested to see what it's going to be like next week. And definitely for us, I'm interested to see what difference there's going to be from one week to the next. So I'm excited to see how this back-to-back format works. It's obviously very different. As you said, even after 22, 23 years in the Superbike paddock, it's something new for you as well. Well, teams always say, and riders always say, if only we had a race tomorrow, we'd be fine. Well, they're going to get three next week effectively tomorrow they're on the same track that everything's going to be more or less the same so we'll see how many of those guys were just bluffing and how many over two it's very interesting it's going to be very strange to work here like a repeat weekend you'll be sitting thinking to yourself did that happen yesterday or last week did he say that yesterday or last week because it's all the same the backdrop everything's the same so yeah i can't wait i mean i'm i'm really interested to see this uh, and to see who can actually make improvements for next weekend. Because we've already tested here, most people, not everybody, but most people. Um, and we've come here and things haven't quite worked out the way they expected. So, you know, it's a unique experience and I'm looking forward to all of it. Yeah, bluffing your way through the World Superbike paddock. It's definitely not something I could understand how that happens. But uh, thanks for joining us today, Gordo. It's been uh, fun to sit down and talk about what we've seen so far in Aragon 1 and uh, definitely looking forward to hearing from you next week as well and uh, definitely big thank you to all the listeners as well and especially those that have started to support us on Patreon patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast the support on the Patreon really is appreciated by myself by Gordo by David by Neil and also by Jensen and Brian behind the scenes and uh, keep an eye out for some new features that we've got on the Paddock Pass podcast as well. We've got new clips of the show where uh, Jensen's been just taking some snippets to give you a minute, two minutes of what's gone on and different shows about different topics. So keep an eye out on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pod for those little clips. And uh, as usual, we'll be back with a full compliment next week because David and Neil will both be talking about uh, the next round of the MotoGP World Championship as well. So it's going to be good fun to be back with uh, World SBK and MotoGP all on the same weekend so from myself Steve English from Gordon Ritchie thanks for listening to today's show and uh, until next week just make sure you like and follow us on the Paddock Pass podcast cheers <laughs>